One announcement that uh, I failed to share with you is we received a card in the church mail this week from Tony and Jean Floyd. Y'all remember them? Uh, missionaries from Paraguay. Uh, they are preparing to go back to Paraguay here in about another month, sometime toward the end of June, uh, thereabouts. And they write, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll have it here if you want to read it. It's just a thank you to us for loving on them. And we did give them a, a pretty good uh, contribution to their missionary support, and they're thanking us for that. That kind of helped them get over the hump, get over the where they needed to be, their goal to get back on mission field. And, and so uh, they will be praying for us, and I ask that you continue to pray for them. Uh, our missionaries are out there doing work that we are unable to do, and so they, they depend on us, and Scripture makes it clear that the church is to send out those who will proclaim the gospel. Amen? And so Tony and Jean, uh, they, they thank us, and they'll continue to keep us informed on what their progress is. They are leaving uh, some of their sons here in the States as they're beginning college. They're at that college-age level, so we pray for them as they're beginning college at UT Knoxville. Uh, their picture is back in the back on the refrigerator magnet. If you want, just look there. If you see their picture, just send up a prayer for them. If you will, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. It'll take us for the rest of the month of May to work through this chapter. And I want us to remember as Paul is writing to the Ephesians what his purpose is. He is writing to primarily Gentile Christians who are struggling with their identity in the faith. And he's encouraging them that they have come from a place of darkness into a place of light And he's encouraging them to continue to focus on that light of Christ in all that they say and do. And so as we begin to read in verse 6, I want to ask that if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God Almighty, we do thank you for your word and the truth that you share with us through your servant Paul tells us where we are as your children. We are no longer of the darkness, we are of the light, and that light is the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we are made new in him, we shine a light that is not of our own making. We shine your light, God. And I pray this morning as you speak to us in your word that you will open our minds to listen, that you would stir within our spirits a a reception of what you have to teach us, and remind us, dear God, that we do not belong to darkness anymore if we are in Christ. But Lord, if we are not part of your Son, Jesus Christ, if he has not redeemed us with his blood, if we have not been forgiven of our sins, then we are in darkness And it requires the light to show us our desperate situation. Teach us, Lord, what it means to walk in Christ. What does it mean to imitate Christ 
as we imitate the light. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. How many of you men or ladies may have had to do this? How many of y'all have ever had to work second shift or third shift? Anybody work third shift and night shift, right? Uh, when you come home, your family is snug in bed and you don't want to wake them up and you try your very best to be quiet as you tiptoe through the house. And, and I don't know what men did without cell phones before this time, uh, because there's many a time that my cell phone becomes my little light as I try to get dressed to go to bed. You know, you try to take off your work clothes and you don't want to wake up your family and, and you're shining the light in the closet trying to find things and you go to bed, right? I don't know about you, but but I, I personally am somebody who doesn't do well in darkness. Now, some people love darkness. You know, they they just the, the dark the dark room just brings them peace and comfort. Does anybody like that? You like a dark room? Uh, some people do, and there, I mean, I, I get that. Some people like to sit in a dark room, and that relaxes them. Uh, a dark room terrifies me because I will stub my toe on something every time. Right. Uh, I want to be able to see what I'm doing. Whenever it gets dark, I get sleepy. So for me, I guess my body clock is is programmed to where I don't go to sleep until there's darkness, right? And so I don't like darkness until it's time to go to bed. Now, and now my, our bedroom, how many of us, uh, y'all like your bedrooms to be dark? You know, put on those, night, those nice dark uh, curtains and block out the light and go. To, that's good. We need that for our health and our body. But what I want to point out here in this text, and this is a common theme throughout Scripture, is this imagery of darkness and light is very profound, Right. This, this is more than just some allegory that, that the script, that the authors of scripture use to try to teach some spiritual mystery. It is something that is very clear, but actually has great, great meaning. The, 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 in Colossians and Ephesians both, well, I mean, let me first of all emphasize that when you read the letter to the Ephesians and you read the letter to the church in Colossae, you will notice that the two letters are very, very similar from Paul. And scholars have noticed this for centuries and centuries. I think perhaps elements of each letter were intended to be more of a public read letter that was like a circuit letter uh, throughout much of uh, the Christian church of that time. And what we have currently in the canon of Scripture are those letters that went particularly to the church in Colossae and the letter that went particularly to the church of Ephesus. When you read these two letters uh, in the New Testament, you see a lot of similarities. And one thing that's very similar is this idea of walking as Christ walked. Paul's encouragement that the church is to imitate Christ. And one of the things that is very clear is that when we imitate Christ, we are not imitating anything that is evil whatsoever. That is abundantly clear, not only in Paul's letters, but throughout all of Scripture. In the Old Testament prophets, they really brought out the emphasis between darkness and light as well. Darkness is always equated with that which is evil. I mean, even if you think about today, when you think about the devil's holiday on Halloween, right? Do we go out trick-or-treating in the light of day? No, we go out at nighttime, right? We celebrate darkness. And when you, even when you think about those evil images of Satan and his demons, and when you think about, even when you think about horror movies, where are they always, where, where does everything happen in a horror movie? It's not in the daytime. It's always at night, in the darkness. I don't know about you, but I was always taught as a child that there's nothing good that happens after 11 o'clock at night. 
No reason to be out of your bed out and roaming around town after 11 o'clock. Those of you who work third shift, I know, Tim, you work third shift. When you come home at night, yeah, is there anything good going on at nighttime when you're driving around? Not one thing. I don't know about how, you could even say this, going to Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning. You'll see the difference, trust me. That's why it's normal to be up in the daytime. And at nighttime, you're supposed to be in the bed. That's normal. Nighttime always brings this imagery of darkness, and we always see things that are evil in the dark. This is why children are oftentimes scared of the dark. I think there's a reason for that because fundamentally, as we are created in God's image, we, we somehow inherently know that th- that which comes from the dark is that which we should avoid. Amen. Anybody here afraid of the dark when they were children? Afraid of the closet? Afraid of the monsters under the bed? It's because that was in the dark places of our rooms, the darkness of our house. You see, evil in Scripture is pictured as a forceful realm of dark power. Evil, when we think of evil, it it seems like it comes from a place of bondage. That's why we don't want to go there. Because when we are surrounded by darkness, we feel trapped. We feel like we're bound in place and we don't feel right. The other thing about evil and darkness here is that we see Satan always tied to imagery of darkness. See, Satan, who is the enemy of God, is portrayed in in Scripture, but he's also portrayed by many other ancient writers as a pretender of light. See, we think about Satan as this king of the darkness, which he is, but whenever he presents himself, he's not going to come in darkness as much as he's going to come as trying to imitate that which is light and good. That's why Satan is so tricky. That's why Satan is someone that you must really pay attention to, even though you may think that what you're experiencing is good and right and bright in the light. We have to be discerning as Christians to see, is this of God or is this of Satan who is trying to imitate the light? And the the word imitate there is, is important here because what Satan does, instead of trying to really be the light and imitating the light, he's trying to pretend. He's pretending to be the light. He has this intentional, this intentional plan to pretend to be good for the purpose of evil. Very manipulative. Satan is not going to come to us in the dark. He's going to come to us in the light of day and make us think that what he is doing is of God. And this is why Paul here in Ephesians 5 is writing to the Ephesian church and even in the book of Colossians. Same imagery here as he talks about the darkness and the light. He says in verse 6 of Ephesians 5, Let no one deceive you with empty words. You see, Satan is the, the king of deception. Amen? That which comes from evil is that which is false, that which pretends to be good, and they use and, and evil uses deception to steer God's people down the wrong path. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This imagery here that Paul talks about is, is very interesting. Why, why, is he, why is he giving a warning here in verse 6? Let no one deceive you with empty words. And then he goes on and continues in verse 6 where he calls these people who, who use deception as sons of disobedience. 
who is he talking about here? I think we can see a comparison. If you'll flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's take a look at what he says over there, because it's a very similar theme throughout much of Paul's writing in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. Paul is going to talk about these false teachers who call themselves super apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. You see what's going on here? Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he warns against these apostles. You can even see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, he says, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. You see, Paul is defending his ministry here and showing the problem in the church that you have those who are actually sons of disobedience, those who are, quote, super apostles, who are actually deceitful in their words, very eloquent in their speaking, probably very persuasive in their public speech, very charismatic in their personalities, and they draw people to them. And he's warning, he's saying, they are sons of disobedience. They are deceitful in their words because they try to shine the light of Christ, but their hearts are full of darkness and deceit. So why is Paul emphasizing this in Ephesians? It's because clearly throughout the church of the day, Paul was concerned that the church was going to fall into error, that the church was going to uh, follow these deceitful super apostles who would come into the church and really they had no desire to feed the sheep of God's church. They had no desire to prosper the kingdom. Their only desire was to prosper their own wealth. Now, does that sound familiar? Do we still have that going on today? Sure we do. Yeah. Now, in my generation, right, we had the uh, candles of the TV evangelists in the 80s. You all remember those? Seems like every time you turn around, somebody on television who was a preacher fell from grace. And, and you know, and everybody just loves to find a televangelist and find fault. And I, I don't blame them because a lot of that stuff on TV, I'm just going to, I'm not going to pull any punches, folks. That stuff on TV that claims to be Christianity is a bunch of junk. Enough said. <laughs> now, I've heard a lot of people's feelings over the years by saying that. I'm not going to pull plenty of punches because Paul didn't pull any punches. He made it very clear those who claimed to be super apostles were actually deceitful teachers and they were doing more harm in the kingdom than help. And, it, and he says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he calls them servants of Satan. Servants of Satan. Not servants of Jesus Christ, servants of Satan. And he compares them to Satan because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
This is why we must be very discerning in our relationships in the church and in the world. I don't care if somebody claims the name of Jesus Christ. If we don't know them well enough, we better be discerning as Christians. And that's what Paul is telling the church in Ephesians chapter 5. Because he says here in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. You can tell if a super apostle is a deceitful apostle because of the value of the words. If the words that come out of their mouth have no value and no fruit, and it's just all flowery language about themselves and how wonderful they are, and oh, you know, that that's a bunch of garbage. Now, if the words of a teacher of the gospel is humble... If the words of a teacher of the gospel produces fruit for the kingdom, then that would be a pretty good sign that you can trust them. If they point to Jesus Christ in everything they teach, if they point to this word in an honest way, not in a deceitful way, that's words worthy of receiving. But it it is the responsibility of the children of God, according to Paul here, to be discerning. Let no one deceive you with empty words, he says. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, what does he mean by the sons of disobedience here? Clearly, these sons of disobedience are those who are children of darkness or children of the night. These sons of disobedience have an attitude of defiance. Whenever you hear anyone who claims to be a preacher of the gospel, anyone you hear who claims to be a Christian, who has an attitude of defiance, that's the very opposite of humility and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So these sons of disobedience have an attitude of defiance. Matter of fact, the word here for disobedience, when translated into the Latin, actually is the same word that we translate into the English for defiance. To be disobedient is to defy authority. Whenever our children disobey us, what are they doing? They're defying us. They're standing, they're testing our limits as parents. Amen, mom and dad? (laughs) And so sons of disobedience, this language here that Paul uses, are those people who push the boundaries of God's authority. And God's wrath is rightly coming against them. The other way to understand the sons of disobedience is that anyone who is in this realm, this children of darkness, children of light, they are going to face divine vengeance. Because Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New clearly shows that God in His righteous wrath will come against those who disobey and against those who pretend to be children of light. The the next thing is, in in sons of disobedience, these are people who are in an unregenerate state. Now, what does that mean, unregenerate? Uh, The uh, the Baptists like to use the term born again. Those who are not born again, those who are unregenerate. To be regenerated means to be made new. If you have not been made new in Christ and you are in a state of sinful rebellion against God, you are in this unregenerate state and you have not been forgiven of your sin. You have not been made new. And so therefore you are a son of disobedience because you are defying the Lord Almighty. Lastly here, these sons of disobedience are actually children of Satan himself. You know, Satan being this prince of darkness who pretends to be of the light. And so these sons of disobedience are clearly there under Satan's control. 
Now, in order to understand the sons of disobedience and its connection with evil here, we have to understand what evil is. So many people don't understand the definition of evil in contrast to the definition of good. Many people argue that God himself had to create both good and evil as a balance to each other. That's a false teaching. God never created evil. All that God creates is good. That's what the scriptures tell us. In Genesis chapter 1, all that God spoke and made to be was good. You remember the, the Genesis story, all seven days of creation? Everything that God made each and every day, at the end of the creation day, he looked upon what he had made and it was good. See where we're going? Very good. So what is evil then? If God, everything God creates is good, where does evil come from? There's a lot of different arguments here about this. But here's a, one, of the basic understand, one of the basic definitions in Christian doctrine about the definition of evil is this. Evil is clearly the absence of good. Evil can be defined clearly as the absence of good. Because good dominates. Good is all that God has made, all that God creates, all that God initiates is good. And so if evil is present, then good is absent. Now here's the thing. Good can exist on its own without depending on anything evil. That's the very definition of good. All that God creates, is God good? God is the, is the image of good. He is all that is good. And is, does God depend on anything else to exist for his existence? Absolutely not. So therefore, all that is good can be good without any kind of evil being present whatsoever. That's the very definition of it. But that which is evil requires that good exists first in order for evil to even have a definition. That which is evil depends on that which is good in order to define it as evil. That's the very definition of evil, the absence of the good. And so Paul here, in writing about the children of disobedience, they are going to be facing God's wrath here. Now let's look at verse 7. Therefore, Paul writes, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 1 starts the whole theme of this chapter. Ephesians 5, 1 says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children... And now here in verse 8, he talks about us walking as children of light. So how do we imitate God? We walk as children of light. If you want to be God-like, you want to be Christ-like, not gods, not Christ himself, but God-like, living as we have the character of God, the character of his son, Jesus Christ, then we walk as children of light. He tells us, Paul tells us here in verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. Every one of us who walk as children of light, at some point we were in the darkness. 
Anyone who has a Christian testimony about Christ's salvation and His forgiveness of us, we will always point to the point who we once were. And every time we look at that, that was a very dark time of our lives. But we did not recognize it until the light of Christ comes to us. It is only when light shines that we actually see what was dark before. Now, walking as children of light, what does this look like? You see, those who walk in children, as children of light are those who have experienced this inbreaking of the gospel into their lives. The light of Christ, the truth of the gospel, breaks into the darkness of our hearts and reveals our sin and then shows us the loving forgiveness that is possible through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, according to Paul in verse 8, when we once were in darkness, now we are light in the Lord. So this light of Christ, folks, is you and me. You see that? The light of Christ shines in us because we are light in the Lord. And we are to walk as children of light. He continues in verse 9, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You want to know how to walk as children of light? Then you walk in that which is good. You walk in that which is right. You walk in that which is true. No deception is, is even possible. No deception is allowed. There's no room for evil. There's no room for that which is wrong. There's no room for that which is false. We have to be true to ourselves as we are true to the Lord. Amen? Therefore, we are also to be as light to the world around us. You see, children of light are those who understand the gospel. They are the ones who understand Christ's loving forgiveness. If that is true for you and me, then when we walk out in this world, (laughs) there's a light in us that everybody sees. Amen? So Paul is calling the church to be that. See, Paul is reminding the Ephesian church here of their past life because many of them were Gentiles apart from the gospel. He says, you were once in darkness, now you are light. You're not just in the light, you are the light. And Paul reminds them of their past so that the will, so that, so that they will be grateful to God for their forgiveness. That's why whenever we come to the Lord's table at the first Sunday of every month, Jesus Christ has given us this gift of communion for that gift of remembering where we were and now where we are and the cost that was paid for our forgiveness. It's always good to be reminded from time to time where we came from. Now, some people say, well, I'm forgiven in Christ. I don't need to remember my sins no more. Well, God does not remember your sins at all. When we are forgiven, they are washed clean and they are gone. But that doesn't mean that we don't forget where we came from. Amen? You see, children of light, they have been enlightened by God's Spirit. We have have experienced God. We have tasted the Lord and the Lord is good, according to the Psalms. If we have experienced that, Paul says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, he says in verse 9, is found in all that is good and true and right and true. And in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing 
to the Lord. How do we discern what is pleasing to the Lord? You know, that could be, that's a big question. How do I know what God wants? You ever ask that? What does God want of me? (laughs) That's a big question because we don't want to let him down. Let me ask you this. Those of us who are married, how do you know what your spouse wants? Men, how do you know what your wife wants? That's a mystery that I don't know every man will ever fully figure out. But we try. Ladies, how do you know what your husband wants? Children, how do you know what your parents want? If you've got a boss, an employer, how do you know what that employer wants? It's called listening. If you want to please your spouse, if you're a child and you want to please your parents, if you want to be a good employee and please your employer, you listen for what they expect. So how do we please the Lord in verse 10? Believers please the Lord when they walk in the light, number one, and when they, and everything they do is designed to please the Lord. And so the first thing is to listen. And that really is the only thing, to listen to what God wants. That's how we please Him. And how do you listen to God? He's told us, right? He, God speaks very clearly in this wonderful book. You want to know what God wants? He's spelled it out from the first page all the way to the last. The Old Testament prophets have told us specifically what God wants because God speaks through the prophets. God speaks through the apostles of the New Testament. God has told us what He wants. He wants His people to love Him. He wants His people to live as broken people made new in Christ. Amen? Psalm 51 tells us that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. That is what God wants. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be repentant. He wants us to walk in the light. Now, let's just close out here. We didn't read these verses, but I want to close out here in verses 11 through 13 and 14. Paul, after describing the sons of disobedience and the children of light, he now tells us in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Because you see what he says here about darkness? Look at what Paul says here in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. In verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. See, when you're doing things in, dar- in the darkness, you don't want to be seen. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they tried to hide themselves. Because they, they were ashamed, and they did not want God to see their failure. So whenever we are doing something in the darkness and we want to be hidden, really what we're doing is we don't want God to see us. We're ashamed. And God says, through the Apostle Paul here, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't behave like those who are in the dark, who do things in secret. 
This is why in the church, Paul makes it very clear in the New Testament, when you want to understand how a church operates, everything operates in the light, honestly and openly, not in, not behind the scenes, not in darkness, not in secret closed-door meetings. Amen? This is why at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, we want everything to be exposed to the light. We want everybody to know exactly what's happening and everything that's going on. We want, if you've got questions, talk to me. I'll tell you what I know. If I don't know anything, I'll tell you. I don't know. But if I know what's going on, I'll tell you. We don't want to hide anything. See, whenever you have a relationship with somebody you trust, that trust is broken when the, someone wants to do something behind their back and in secret. This is why communication between a husband and a wife openly and honestly is very important. That's why sharing the finances and having one checkbook is very important. This is why when it comes to what you're doing at work and what you're doing at home, you talk about these things so there's nothing hidden. This is why children, whenever we obey our parents, we don't go do things in secret behind their backs. That's why our parents want to know what we're doing. You see, children of light walk in a, th- walk in a way that God sees everything they do. And whenever we walk in the light, we walk in a way that we please the Lord and we're not ashamed. You see, as children of light, here's the, here's the twist As children of light, the church actually dwells in the midst of a world of darkness. That's the dilemma. We are made new in Christ. We have experienced the light of Christ through the Holy Spirit. But we still live in a dark world. And that's the tension. So Paul, in his words here to the Ephesian church, are words that we need to hear today. We are to avoid the company of the darkness. We are to avoid the company of the wicked. That's a word that we don't use anymore. I've used that in my classes at Ball State from time to time, and I say, I'm trying to encourage the next generation to bring that word back. Make it a cool word again. Wicked. Not not wicked cool like wicked good, but like wicked wicked. Amen? (laughs) That's a good word. Because, boy, it really pinpoints exactly what is evil. It's not just bad. It's just not, oh, well. It's wicked. Something we're not to be anything near or anything like. But then you might ask yourself, as you hear the words of Paul here, to avoid the company of the wicked, we have to ask ourselves, well, what about Jesus? Didn't he dwell and live with those who were downtrodden and sinful and and vulgar? Sure he did. But I want to bring out a difference here, the definition of wicked versus the definition of the broken. The wicked are those who want nothing to do with God whatsoever. The wicked are those who actually follow Uh, the father of darkness, Satan himself, and they refuse to follow the father of light. That's the wicked. And if you look at how Jesus lived in the New Testament, in the Gospels, he, his harshest words, his most forceful expressions of anger were for those who were wicked. But those who were broken, even though they were sinful, even though they were rejected by the community, and rejected by the religious leaders. They were definitely sinners. They weren't necessarily wicked because they were broken and receiving of the truth of the gospel and receiving of the love of Christ. You see the difference? It's okay for us as children of light to make friends with those who are in need of salvation. 
We should have relationships with people of the world, but we should avoid the wicked. Big difference. Because how can people come to Christ if they don't see the light of Christ? And who is the light according to what we just read here? You and me. But when it comes to the wicked, we who are in the light will see it for what it is, and we should avoid it at all cost and stand up to it for what it is. But those who are corrupt, those who are broken, those who are in favor in God's eyes, who need salvation, those are the ones we shine the light to. Now, here's the thing. As Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, here's my prayer for us. That as we move forward this year in moving into a new building, as we move forward this year in inviting families and children and people in the community for different events, worship times, when we go into the jail and we minister to those who are, for no they have nowhere else to go, so let's minister to them. They need the gospel. When Paul Adkins, who goes to the rescue mission twice a week now, and he ministers to those who are kind of down on their luck and have made some bad choices, we shine the light of Christ. We don't shun them as wicked and unworthy. Yes, they may be in a a period of darkness. They may be in a place where they are not shining the light and they don't know the light, but that's where they need us. That's what Paul's talking about here. That as the church, we are Christ's light in this dark, dark world. We are not to do things in deceit as Satan does. We should do things with truthfulness and openness and love. You know, it's okay to speak truth in love. Amen? I'm glad some folks in my life have always looked at me, especially when I was younger, and they said, Brian, that's dumb. Stop it. That's what we need them for. We need that. Let's be children of light and love the world, but at the same time, if someone is in a place of darkness, let's show them what the true light is, and let's show them the love of Christ. Amen? Let me pray for us. Dear God Almighty, we thank you for your word. You have called us to be children of light. That is how we imitate you. That's how we walk in this world as your people. Whenever we fail you, God, and we actually behave more like sons of disobedience, I pray that you would show us our failure and correct us. Whenever we want to hide from you, God, I thank you that you don't let us stay there. You come after us. And so, God, I pray that we would be faithful witnesses of your gospel openly, lovingly. We do not behave like children of disobedience. We behave as children of light. And that means that we show grace to those who need grace. And we do not condemn those who need to hear your word. We love them. We teach the truth to them. We speak the truth, but we do not condemn to the point that we push them away. So, God, I pray that you would use Sovereign Grace Baptist Church as we spread this light. And I pray, God, that you would direct our paths. And I pray, God, that you would be pleased enough to allow us to participate in this kingdom, this work that you have for us to do. But have us do it as your children, as we shine the light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.